0: I want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting QuetzalEC.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com and if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a five percent discount on their abolitionist teaching pd series once again you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their connect with us page And welcome to Habitually Disruptive. Today's episode is a little bit of an emergency. It's dropping on a Thursday. Normally, we try to drop episodes on a Monday. But this is a very urgent um, situation I need to get in front of you. Um, If you're interested in our work, you can obviously follow us us on social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you go to at 2DopeTeachers. Um, you can find us. You can also connect with uh, with us via email, 2 teachers at gmail.com, um, and hit us up if you have any feedback or if you just want to follow the progress or if you want to bring us urgent stories that are are kind of a matter of life and death in public education in Colorado and beyond. So <clears throat> in a few minutes, you're going to hear my interview with uh, four members of the Adams District 14 community. Now this is a community that mostly serves Commerce City in uh, north, in the northeastern part of the Denver Metro area. For those of you listening outside of Denver or Colorado, Commerce City is a heavily industrial area where that is home to many, many people of color, uh, particularly immigrants from Mexico. <clears throat> and there's been just, there's just been a lot of nuttiness when it comes to Adams 14. Um, I want to share a little bit of my my history with Adams 14 so that you kind of understand why this touches my heart specifically. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about why this matters um, nationally for the fate of public education. So um, you may not be in Colorado, you may not even be in the United States, but we we in public education are in a fight for our lives and uh, knowing this story and engaging in incidents like this is just absolutely going to matter. So, um, so many of you know that my mother is a retired um, high school teacher. Mama taught language arts and Spanish. And when she went to Adams City High School, I believe in 1989, I feel like I was about to go to high school myself. When she went to teach at Adams City, she uh, took a Spanish teaching job. While she was at Adams City, she realized that it was a community that really needed um, a lot of support and a lot of help. There were obstacles environmentally, it was an unsafe place for a lot of. Uh, people, and it was just a community that had experienced uh, trauma and neglect. My mother, though, is a person, and I don't think she knows this, I don't think I've ever said this to her, but <clears throat> my mother is the one that influenced me to be an asset minded educator and leader. When other teachers would go into a city like a, a high school like Adam City High School, um, particularly white educators, as my mother is, um well she was she was an educator she is still white um they would look and they would have this kind of pobrecito like attitude they would look at this population and say wow these children really need saving and um, my mother just never was like that maybe it was because she was raising two mexican kids maybe it was because she grew up in communities of color um for whatever reason it was, she immediately saw an asset with these students, and you know I, I think that um, it's easy to pathologize people of color if you are not one of us. And um, and what she learned from these young people is that despite a system <clears throat> that labels their emerging English proficiency as a deficit, my mother actually saw the fact that they could speak another language. Um, in addition to having functional English as an asset. And so she and uh, her friend, I believe it was Amy Gonzalez, came up with the idea to teach an English language, um, <clears throat> English, Spanish. sorry, I just ate some food and it's like messing with my throat an English-Spanish intercambio class. This is basically dual language immersion at the high school level before it was really a really big famous thing. This is in the late 80s, early 90s. And they saw immediate dividends. These native Spanish speakers um, were were able to take the AP Spanish literature exam Mm -hmm. and perform extremely well on it. These young people were uh, creative. I remember there was a a young man named Noé and Noe would leave um, little uh, poetic pieces of prose on her desk, and not even say a word. Sometimes he might say something like, "I wrote this," and then leave. And so, knowing that this was the journey, and knowing that there were there was such brown brilliance at Adam City High School, I never looked at it in a negative way. Now, we lived in the Manual neighborhood, and so I went to Manual, and I always wanted to go to Manual. It was never a conversation of whether I was going to go to school with my mom. <clears throat> Plus my mom used to like bike there from our house in Five Points all the way to Commerce City. And I did not want any part of that. Um, So we fast forward a generation or so, maybe more um, and Adams City High School and the rest of the district, Adams uh, District 14, um, are in trouble. And it's because of this um, wrong-minded, punitive state ratings system that mandates that uh, schools that underperform according to state assessments must be taken over by the state and potentially turned into charter schools. Now the conflict of interest is pretty obvious and you will hear the activists in this interview speak to that. And it has been a really contentious situation at Adams City High School. So a few weeks ago, um, the, the Colorado State Board of Education Um, decided that they were gonna make a recommendation that Adams 14 be reorganized. um, And as sort of the crown jewel of this reorganization scheme, Adams city high school, that big beautiful building um, on the edge of the Rocky mountain arsenal would be closed. This is heartbreaking because for reasons that you're about to hear, this community has been neglected. This community has been ignored. This this community has um, now been turned into a test subject for what privatization can look like in an urban district. And folks, I cannot put too fine a point on this. If this works, we now have a template for how the state and how Privatization can happen in taking over schools that are deemed to be failing, even in a pandemic, even when that school has been victimized by bad faith actors. And it is my belief that um, the organization <clears throat> that was tasked to manage um, Adams 14 during this transition was a bad faith actor. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop rambling. My heart is with all y'all in Commerce City, especially those Adam City Eagles. um, And I I just admonish all of you, if, if you all have any sort of compassion or care for public education in the United States of America, for the notion that every child deserves a quality education that is available to all of them, regardless of zip code and regardless of socioeconomic status, you have got to find a way to amplify and engage with this issue. So I bring you um, this roundtable conversation, emergency episode on the crisis facing Adams 14. Um, Tomorrow, this is dropping on, I hope, on Wednesday night, um, April the 13th. Um, On Thursday, April the 14th, Adams 14 will make its appeal to the state board and it is just so important that we blow up social media about this. Uh, make sure that the state board and everybody else knows that we are watching. Yo, what's up, everybody? Uh, welcome back to Habitually Disruptive, a uh, two dope teachers in a mic production. My name is de Munoz. I am your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. And I'm bringing you an emergency podcast episode about an issue that's actually kind of close to my heart, y'all. Um... We know that we are in the midst of education wars in this country right now, and we are in a fight for um, the heart and soul of public education. And here in Colorado, we have some really important issues playing out and some really major things happening. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context, and then I will go ahead and introduce my guest. Oh, we have another guest. Hello. <laughs> um, we welcome pets and uh, children and spouses and anybody else who wants to you know, jump here in the Tudope Nation. Um, so a lot of you know that my mother is a retired um, high school teacher. My mom taught for, I believe it was 17 years at Adams City High School, uh, taught Spanish and bilingual education, rode her bike from the east side all the way to that old site in Commerce City. Uh, not, not the big fancy building that she talks about, but the, the previous sort of... Um, you know, location. And that was a school that my mom absolutely just loved. She loved being there. She loved the community. She knew it was a community that needed a lot of support. Um, But, you know, part of part of what I think made me state teacher of the year was I really believed in seeing the positive that every kid brings. And, um, and my mother was no exception. Also, uh, Colorado education association president, Amy Baca-Oler began her career, um, out in Adams 14. And so it is with a warm heart, but a heart that's kind of breaking a little bit that we bring you this story. So if you've been following, education news in Colorado you know that things have been happening that have really upended the Adams 14 community and so tonight I have some guests with me that will share some of their stories um we have so I'll have all you introduce yourselves um starting with Jason.
1: Hi uh, my name is Jason Malmberg I'm a middle school orchestra director at Kearney Middle School Um, I've been in Adams 14 for 20 years. I spent some time over at Adams City Middle School, but most of the time has been at Kearney, and uh, I'm the local uh, union CTA president. Um, Yeah, that's me on that show.
0: Thanks. Welcome, Jason. Corey?
2: I am Corey Eichmann. I teach sixth grade language arts at Kearney Middle School. Um, This is my fourth Year in Adams 14. Before the, I was there, I was in, I've been in Jeffco, Westminster, and Denver. Um, so I've got experience all over the place.
0: All right. Thank you, Corey. Welcome. Uh, Doreen?
3: Hi, my name is Doreen Armalin, and I am actually a um, former student of Adams 14. So I've been in Adams 14 living in the community my whole life. I won't share how many years that is, but many. <laughs>
0: um, Not part of the breaking cur- news.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently working in Adams 14. My goal was to give back to the community. So I've been working in Adams 14 teaching for eight years there at that school. I've been teaching a total of 13. I was also in DPS. Um, I am teaching first grade. and AR with um, CTA and the equity chair with uh, Corey. Right.
0: Welcome, Doreen and Lacey.
4: Uh, Hi, I'm Lacey Mueller. I teach eighth grade math at Adams City Middle School. I am currently in service in my 16th year and the uh, political action chair of School District 14 Classroom Teachers Association.
0: Awesome. And Lacey and I know each other from the Commissioner of Education's uh, teacher cabinet. And this is where um, I I got to finally hear firsthand kind of what was happening uh, was within a conversation with Lacey a few months ago. So um, let's get right into it. Um, So the most recent news we have on Adams 14 is that the district hasn't submitted a plan to the state about what's going on. And there's a lot of things up in the air. Um, the state board is getting ready to, to hear a case and that kind of thing. But take us through a little bit of the history of what, what's happened here. So my understanding is that in 2018, uh, about four years ago, the quote-unquote accountability clock started ticking um, in Adams 14. Um, can one of you talk a little bit about what happened at that point that set events into motion that we're seeing today?
4: Uh, Yeah, I can speak to that. In 2018 is when the state board order took effect to uh, have a further consequence imposed on Adams 14, which would include options about closing our schools or charterizing them or reorganizing some of the things you're hearing about um, recently. And Many of those things were not options for Adams 14, according to the state board. So the only thing we were allowed to choose from was external management. Uh, Our district's community, teachers, uh, school board, we went through a very intensive process of selecting an external manager. Um, And for the first time in my career there, we actually all agreed on the same thing. And um, that was our neighboring community school, uh, Mapleton Public Schools. They are one of the very few districts in the state that has similar demographics to ours. And they're our neighbors and they were the only nonprofit of the finalists. Uh, We presented that to the State Board of Education, uh, which turned us down on that, saying that Mapleton had no record as an external manager although they can manage their own district, apparently that wasn't enough.
0: (laughs) So when we talk a little bit about um, these, these sort of accountability measures, the, you know, we hear the stories in Denver, we hear the stories in a lot of different places about how, if you don't perform, the state's going to come and take you over. And so, so what was it that constituted the, the the perceived underperformance, I'm being really smart, I'm trying to be really smart about how I phrase this, because I think that um, my former superintendent, Susana Cordova, once came to a meeting that we had and said, every school is a good school and every school is full of great teachers and kids. And so when we talk about schools underperforming, I think that's a really dangerous narrative to put out there because it sort of puts the responsibility there. So what were the measures that were, a problem in Adams 14. And then the other question, you mentioned the demographics. I know what the demographics are, but the listeners may not. So um, if, if you or someone could men- could talk a little bit about the demographics and why that is a really important part of this conversation. Yeah, I'll go yeah. a little bit. All right. <laughs> okay. You
4: want to? Well, I'll throw some stats your way. Uh, we right, have sounds triple,
2: great.
4: triple the state average of uh, students who are learning English as a second language. We have over the double the state average of students who qualify for free and reduced lunch, a common measure of poverty, and we have over double the state average of students who identify as ethnic minorities.
0: Yeah, yep. And then Jason, you wanted to add. So so, uh,
1: about the piece about, you know, what were the measures, you know, I kind of don't even plus I don't have it all memorized like which specific test right, you know, right. whatever but to your point it the, the 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 test is I mean we've all heard the bias thing we've all heard the you know not an accurate measurement thing it it and that's kind of why I don't even want to give it credit because sure sure it is you know set up for communities that look like ours to be overtaken like right. this isn't about trying to help anybody this yeah. is about trying to figure out a way to privatize public funding yeah it's 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 essentially just a money laundering operation right. for corporations
0: so essentially what what we're saying is that actually it's it these tests often are stronger indicators of socioeconomic status of status as, as marginalized and oppressed communities than they are um, of what's actually happening in the schools and what students actually need. You know, I was in a conversation a couple of weeks with Secretary of Education Cardona and his, um, and his statement, which I thought was important, um, mostly because we need to hold decision makers to these ideas is that, that assessment data should be a spotlight and not a hammer. Right? That it's a way to shine a light on the needs that a community may have and to approach it from that perspective. What I hear you saying is that there's probably a little bit of a motivation to make sure that these deficits were seen so that there could be a, a rationale for privatization.
1: Yeah, yeah 100%. And that's, that's what we've seen all over the country. And, you know, Denver is a little. Late to the party on that, and this is just the process that is happening here. Yeah. Um. So, but back to like whatever we had gotten to the end of the clock right there yep. before, before COVID, and and Lacey had mentioned that we we organized to try to stay with a public manager, and that upset the state board, and then they forced us to to pick a different one, and the least bad option was uh, MGT, and yeah. that's and, the one that we went with,
0: and then MGT is. I,
1: it, it um, what does it Do know it's it's... I, I know enough about it, but I, I okay. honestly forgot what, so the, the, what the acronym is. but we'll it, know... MGT is a, is a consultant company okay that is owned by a, a Florida you know sort of DeSantos style Republican. Okay. Um, they've been in management in many other sectors and they've recently gotten into education. Okay. Um, they have a little bit of history in Colorado. They 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 did individual schools down in, in Pueblo. Um, they did us, and then tonight uh, airing on CBS four. Uh, we're learning about a, a contract that happened with uh, the Colorado School of Mines. In all three cases here in Colorado, they overpromised, underdelivered, and were asked to leave and uh de- and demanded you know seven figure sums in order to do so um so it, yeah the, this is the this is the playbook right like yeah. the label of place force private corporations in there uh mgt also is under investigation in their home state of florida for getting uh under under the table deals there's evidence that uh friends of the the guy that owns the thing from Florida awarding a contract before competition before, which is of course illegal,
2: right? Yeah.
0: When there's no, um, no bidding process and that kind of thing. So if, if I have this right, and um, I think Lacey, you were saying something around this, but, and also um, if Corey or Doreen have something to add on this. Um, So what it sounds like is that the initial plan was, okay, let's, you know, we have Mapleton right next door. They're a small district they're very similar to us, we can sort of merge our efforts with them, and then that can kind of get us moving in a good direction. Was that kind of the, was that the proposal that you all had laid out before the board to begin with?
4: Yeah, um, I'd say that's accurate. We did a lot of work with them, not them directing things down to us, but a lot of listening and A lot of really solid community meetings that were not agenda-driven or profit-motivated that were purely altruistic in nature.
0: Yeah.
4: And um, that was, uh, it was a special thing to see. And I'll always have a place in my heart for Mapleton Public Schools for having the courage to do so. Yeah. It was uh, not an easy experience for them.
0: <laughs> and not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, for those of you who are listening to us outside of Colorado or even outside of the United States, it's really important to note that this performance data um, can make or break buildings um, or regions or districts. We've seen that here in Denver with the far Northeast and um, the very rapid growth of um, charter and privatized sort of I- outfits and ideas developing in, in our midst. And so when you offered a partner with a district that has been labeled as failing, um, you're putting yourself at risk. And, you know, we're going to talk at the end of this conversation about solidarity and what it looks like across systems and what it looks like across public education. So, uh, shout out, Mapleton. So, um,
2: actually, I'm sorry, yeah, I ahead. wanted to throw something yep. in because I have a connection. So, when I taught in Denver, I actually and this is Corey our- speaking, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Uh, when I taught in Denver, I actually taught far Northeast. Okay. And so, um, the population there is very, very similar to the population that we've gotten Adams 14. Um, and so like, I have worked in three different locations where the popular population was similar. Westminster was also a very similar demographic. Um, and you know, I saw in Denver the the charters taking over my students I taught fifth grade they didn't really have an option to go from fifth grade to middle school that wasn't a charter uh, their parents didn't understand what charters were um, it was just it was very much set up so that those students in that quadrant and it's a very low income quadrant were being pushed into the charter schools yeah Um, and then you know I got to Adams 14 and I have I was astounded at just like the passion that I saw in the educators there, because, you know, I have worked in four different districts and I've never seen teachers that were as crazy about their students as they were when I got to Adams 14. I mean, the first thing I remember being told when I got there was, uh, our students are amazing. I mean, and and just this love of the students, this passion for the students. And I was there that first year when the accountability clock thing timed out and I watched all this happening. I didn't understand what was happening yet. Sure. But I I did show up to all the union meetings, you know, and, and every turn it was like, no, they shot that down. And then we would all gather up and, and come together and try to come up with a new solution. And we'd go to the state board and no, they shot that down. And it was just like there nobody was working with us. We we were, our community was coming together to help these kids be better. And the people in the state were just like, it's like they had an idea of what they wanted already. And if we didn't pick that, they were just gonna veto whatever else we said.
0: Right, right. Thank, thank you for that, uh, Corey. And I think what you say is something that I witnessed from the time that I was in middle school and high school. I'll go to events um, that my mom was having at the school. Um my, my dad, I think, coached Adam City soccer for about a year. And so I got to go and kind of see that. And I think what you describe about the community was true in the in the 90s and the early 2000s, as it is right now. Um, Doreen, I want to bring you into the conversation you are a, a member of the community, a graduate of Adam City High School. Um, and you have taught in other places, but you've come back to do this work. As a member of the community, how do you make sense of what you're seeing? And um, what's the impact that it's making on the families who have uh, relied on the school, frankly, to be a community center um, for decades?
3: Um, in answer to that question, this is during speaking, the impact is it's hurtful. It is hurtful being a graduate of Adam City High School and seeing the multiple years and where the district was. Let you know that we were there once. We can get back there. Yeah. So we feel, and what I'm getting, and I'm throughout the community, is they don't believe in us. They don't believe in our kids. They don't believe in the teachers, and that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, you look in the historians of of Adam City High School. We were the wrestling champ, still are. That's right. Okay. And um. We were able to make the differences. We always had kids that had high graduations. We had kids that did the same thing that other kids are doing in other districts, going to college, coming back, bringing it back to the district. So this is something that we feel like we're taking it and I'll just be perfectly honest with you. It feels like it is a racial hit because of our socioeconomic status, the brown skin that we have here in our district. And we know as echoing back what Corey said, There are other schools that are very similar throughout everywhere in Colorado, but they're going to choose to come at District 14 uh, with such power and force that they're going that it just doesn't make sense. They don't want to hear us. They don't want to listen to us. They want to make their stories out there that are so untrue, but there's nothing that we can do to to change that because they feel like we're holding on with our last breath and we would do or say anything to try to get back to where we need to be. Yeah. So the the consideration just isn't there. Yeah. And that's and I, what the community is feeling.
0: And I um and I have to really um shout out folks who are naming this for what it is. I've done some research on you know I was looking through some of um previous uh, stories that have kind of come out of this, and uh, you know, I, I was able to uh, hear Lacey a couple of times speaking at the teachers' cabinet about you know how this this is racist. This has a um, a type of accountability leveled at a population of people that wouldn't be leveled at others, and I think that that's really important. And you know, it's so interesting from, from my house. Um, I see, I can look out my window and I can see a large comprehensive high school in Denver public schools that, um, that is so over-enrolled that kids are having to park three blocks away on the street, making all these neighbors all mad. And then there's a charter school on the same campus. And I look a little bit further and I can see Adams city high school. And the thing that's really just mind blowing to me is that, two of these three schools will never have to worry about anything that Adams City High School has to worry about. And it takes me 15 minutes to run there when I'm training for a marathon, right? And so this is the realist. Okay, so um, to sort of continue to establish the timeline, um, there, you know, Mapleton and Adams 14 say, we wanna go into partnership. Um, The department of, this is Colorado Department of Education says, A cute idea, but no, because we don't categorize Mapleton Public Schools as a, what was the word you used? uh, The phrase you used?
4: External management organization and
0: EMO. Even though they exist externally of Adams 14, they are an educational management organization that has been pretty successful for a pretty long time and that is willing to be there. And, And so that appeal is rejected. Uh, What happened then?
1: So then we got, uh, you know, uh, MGT basically forced upon the district, which is a private for profit corporation, Um, you know, during their time here was uh, leading up to and through the pandemic. um, Essentially, they did little to no management, even though they were supposed to be the manager it was essentially like coaching i mean this is kind of at the core of what we're dealing with here is Mm. you know if you have a certain worldview then when you're approached with this situation where all the poor communities are failing and and you just can't accept that maybe that has something to do with it
0: yeah yeah yeah, They're then, coming in with this sort of preconceived <clears throat> notion. Right. It's because
1: it, we are bad teachers, right?
0: Yeah. And, and if so, their politics are as you characterize them, right, if they have these relationships in spaces that are hostile to public education and hostile to teachers' unions and organized teaching professionals, then, now, then that is going to color the way they, quote-unquote, support you, right?
1: Right. And then also again to specifically call out the race dynamic here i mean this is also a very white affluent solution and thinking to a, a system that has been totally broken by that that hierarchy and yeah. they, there's no recognition of that at all so so they came in and they just you know put all these people on this call through tons of coaching and 99 of the time the, the coaching was inappropriate for what we're dealing with it was completely missing the mark for for what we need it's again completely culturally insensitive no recognition of the of the community and so it was just a bunch of wasted
0: and they're not from here and they are Pushing away the 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 perspectives of teacher students and community, there do you do you feel Jason that what they were doing was just sort of going through the motions so that they could collect on this contract? They're collecting checks, hundred uh,
1: percent. Yesterday I went over the the audit from their time here in between their first year here and their second year here. Um, every single management item went. Uh, went up so like year spending year over year from from uh, two years two schools years ago to, to last year every single like management thing went up um, and then uh, the spending in the classroom went went down in a single year wow in, in one school year to another over 27 percent to the over over 10 million dollars less was spent in the classroom wow. in a single year And, um, and the whole time they're doing this and cashing these checks, you know, they're, they're going to meetings and, and, and talking about how, you know, we're just here for the kids and
0: it's like they're, um, uh they are supposed to be supporting you, but what they're doing is divesting from the most important space. It impacts the learning of young people every day. And to sort of tie it back to what Lacey was saying about the profile of the district, this is a district whose students are living, are struggling with poverty, are trying to learn a second language, um, that there are more students of color who are historically marginalized and oppressed than in any other place. And in a very real way, the population that you serve depends on the school being strong and supported and funded and resourced and um, and built up based on what it is as a community. So um, let's chat really quickly about, um, about COVID. Was COVID harmful to the process? Did it leave the process in a neutral place? What was the impact of COVID and um, Adams 14's fight to stay um, to stay integrated as a district
1: if anything it 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 lengthened it gave uh, some cover for mgts horrible data
0: okay
2: yeah.
0: and, so spending.
4: Could...
2: <laughs> and
0: spending and
4: spending information for a lot of spending um, in the name of we need you know these things to be approved uh, things they changed the threshold of Spending that could be approved by our board in the name of COVID, but then proceeded to uh, exploit that um, beyond needing COVID needs. It it uh, it was specifically done in that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. unfortunately,
0: it, it's it's amazing because as you share these antics by MGT, which as Jason pointed out, there's a there's a story hot off the presses. We still have presses these days. I don't know. Uh, Hot off the presses about some mismanagement with Colorado school of minds that is, that is realizing in a process of litigation. So I'm just sitting here wondering when, uh, when they're going to get sued um, because this seems like it should be in the cards. I'm not an attorney, so I don't know if it's, but it seems like that could be something that's in the cards. So, um, so we come out of the pandemic And well, out of the pandemic, out of the quarantine, and back into in-person learning, um, what has this school year been like up until the state board's um recommendation that happened a few weeks ago? So between, let's say, between August and February, what's the feeling? What is the struggle? Where is the Adams 14 community at? This is Corey. Um, I
2: just. It's been utter chaos. Like, like Jason said before, there was nobody running the show. Um, it was from week to week. We weren't sure what was happening. Uh, we weren't sure what our metrics were. We didn't have metrics. Nobody was updating our COVID metrics. Um, you know, if it weren't for the teachers union, we would never have had any like parameters put into place because the number one goal this year just simply seemed to be, let's all get into the classroom as fast as yeah. possible. Yeah, And there really wasn't any, I mean, it was just, teachers were just living in constant flux, you know? And so we're students, obviously, you know, um, trying to communicate with parents at very short notice what was happening. Um, and it just, it was scary. It was difficult. And, you know, it's just a whole extra coaching model. I mean, when Jason talks about coaching, I don't know that I've been that coached. Um, I have had to go to a lot of meetings because that seems to be the number one thing that MGT added to our plates. Was oh, our lots meeting. of meetings. So we have to have data meetings every single week based on a CFA that is mutual with our others, like at Kearney, it's Adam City Middle School. We all have to meet together in the sixth grade language arts team right. and go over data. Um, and so there's a whole lot of meetings and there's been a lot of walkthroughs, learning walkthroughs. So okay. I, as a language arts teacher, I had groups of two to seven people in my classroom every wow. single Thursday um, to just watch me. And, and then I guess coaching, they, they told me what I did wrong. Um, other teachers necessarily didn't. Just you're walking in with
0: CMS. this deficit lens, like you're walking into a building saying everything is wrong in this building, and so we have to see everything that's going wrong with teachers so we can fix it. Is that how you would characterize those walkthroughs and meetings?
2: Absolutely. And it wasn't everyone, though. It was, it was just, you know, the, the classrooms that are measured by CMAS. So okay. um, they never spoke to our SPED teachers, not one time. Like the, right. They never walked into a special education classroom to see what was happening in there um they never asked us any questions about what we needed it was just let's go through language arts and math in middle school level secondary level right. and and tell them what they're not
0: doing right so uh, it's just um, it, you know I wish I could say I was surprised but you know I feel like this is sort of you know we have these micro examples of this happening all over the state in every district and this is when it Comes to its logical conclusion we don't even acknowledge that other things are happening in the school we don't even acknowledge that there are other content areas or types of teachers um we're going into these places that are tested and we are um and we're sharpshooting them hello what a pretty kitty um during would you agree with uh with corey's assessment that it was just chaos like it almost sounds like i'm, I'm thinking in terms of politics and history this almost sounds like a failed state right, where there is no government, there's no functional government. And if not for your union, your professional association, there's nobody sort of keeping an eye on what's going on. Is that how you would describe it, Doreen?
3: I would, yes, I do. I feel, as Corey said, with the chaos, and it was like the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing, and you just didn't feel like you had any grounding in the school you just did what you did best and what you were there for and that's putting kids first and knowing that we were taking kids in I teach first grade I was really teaching kindergarten because kindergarten in our district and probably many other districts a lot of parents did not send their babies to school when COVID was in when we came back in that January that's right because of the fear so it was it was just chaotic and MGT would have these coaches now keep in mind our district is a bilingual district, right? So if you're gonna get somebody to come in and coach that is already working in another school district and you're feeling really hopeful because they have this great program they want us to use and and they're ready to go. Well, when you sit down and you start listening to what they're saying and they start questioning, well, why aren't your kids here? And why aren't your kids there? The question that I proposed to one of the coaches was, do you know about a school that has the demographics that we do? Do you know what it's like to teach second language learners that they don't even have the same pronunciation of the vowels that we are saying? Right. And you want to sit here and criticize and question what we're doing. But yet, can you step into my shoes? Yeah. We asked one of our coaches, can you have some of your teachers come down and, and model for us? Like you, you described this. Come fabulous what program. we do. You 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 have answers. Let's see them. Hey, and and we said that. I was one that said it. You know what the answer was? You know, our teachers don't feel comfortable coming down here. Maybe I can get one to do a video for you.
0: Wow. That's that's what
3: MGT was hiring to try to help us to be a successful district.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, and I feel like this was... This was the cry of so many communities and public school teachers during the initial months of the COVID-19 pandemic. Aside from those other factors, it's been a pandemic. And um, I know that in Commerce City, like in a lot of these areas, it's a lot of essential workers who are out there. It's a lot of people who are exposed. It's a lot of people who don't have the protections against a, a murderous virus. Um, and you know, they've chosen to keep their kids safe. And wow. I think that's a really important thing. And so the fact that there's been no conversation around that is also pretty incredible. Um, so looking at, yeah, go ahead, Jason, you want to add something? Yeah, I know you want to wrap up here. So no, I, it's, it's all good. Get, it's all good. Get, get you to where we're at today. So, so,
1: uh, just from sort of like a 10,000 foot view. So yep. MGT and the, the local school board, which again, coming back to, in the chaos years a, a CTA organized to elect some like awesome school board members. Yeah. So we finally have a school board that's like all on the same page fighting together. They decide to hire a superintendent about a year ago um, to have a transition year getting ready for the end of MGT's contract. That superintendent is Dr. Carla Luria. She comes on midsummer and. Um, she starts this year and very quickly starts to see some suspect, some suspicious activity going on in the financials. Um, an audit comes. Always like out- follow the money, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. An audit comes out uh, in the in the fall uh, of MGT's performance. The audit is damning at best and calls into question the even the legality of it. Um, when the school board got a hold of that, basically MGT. W- w- like, had to, had to get out of the buildings. They framed it as they were being kicked out, not allowed to do their job, even though that's not exactly the way that it was framed at the time, because, like, this horrible data had come back, and we needed to take a beat and figure out what was going on. Anyway, that upset the state board. Uh, the state, then we had to reinstate MGT. Um, then we went through sort of like uh, the Christmas time, everybody's on pins and needles, who's in charge, and it kind of becomes this sort of binary thing between the local school board and um, MGT. Um, that continues on. Basically, a financial audit is done at that point, the financial audit finds, you know, basically a half million dollars in discrepancies, uh, which leads to probable cause to kick out MGT, or prior to the end of their contract. Um, so then MGT is out. This really upsets the state board. Um, they decide to do these uh, immediate reviews, uh, state review panels. Um, they, they did one for the district and the high school, and then one just for central elementary uh, based off of whatever score data they looked at. Right. Um, those came back. This is more recently. Um, now that we just have uh, the school board sort of running, the local school board and Dr. Luria running the show, those come back. Um, and to everyone's surprise, the first one. And, and, and this SRP is made up of all white people, all wealthy people, multiple members of which uh, profit directly from charter schools, which is, of course, the main, like, component of 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 the five options right that we that we were given we we, we're given five options in this process it's it's basically like which limb do you want to cut off you know there's no nobody's offering help no no good option right there's no good options it's just like how do you want to hurt yourself so anyway um uh they they suggest oh we think what you should do is unseat a democratically elected school board and close adam city high school that's what the this panel with no context of the situation, who also profit off of, right? So uh, so that recommendation is made. Huge organizing effort is kicked off in the community after that. Uh, we see Together Colorado kicking off. Uh, Lacey spoke at the meeting last week. It was just awesome. Um, we see a lot of mobilization on social media. We see a lot of mobilization in the community. Um, then, lo and behold, the SRP uh, comes out for Central and, and the tune has completely changed. Now they're going to accept a um, School of Innovation. Um, in between those two, our local school board passed a resolution moving forward with a community school model at Central. It's the first school board in the state of Colorado to actually to, to move forward with this. Um, that is something that the union and the community have been pushing for, for over five years,
0: the community uh, school
1: model, the community school model. And we are moving forward with that in central. So, uh, then that, so anyway, the SRP comes out for central and they kind of backed off and went to this, uh, model of, uh, a, uh, of, uh, innovation, um, somewhere in all of this process. So back in, like, I'm going to, I, I skipped a huge part. A huge part back back in the winter uh the school board hired joe salazar as an attorney okay and uh, when i'm trying to explain to people who this is not their world i always say joe is like colorado's Aaron Brockovich,
0: basically as yeah. on. Yep. so uh
1: joe salazar has been awesome and um he filed one of the motions that he filed uh was to suspend the turnaround process based on did, just to keep it short based on six things the judge essentially agreed with us on five of them. And then on the sixth one said, um, you don't have harm yet. The state board hasn't acted against you. Um, well, let's, 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 uh, we're going to go ahead and have the meeting on the 14th Come and on. then see what happens. Uh, it it seems a little bit like, depending on what happens this Thursday yep, on the 14th, um, that we could be fighting, gearing up for it. it kind of looks like this is going to end in the courts Mm. so we're going to decide the constitutionality of the the turnaround law in colorado yeah at some point because we feel like the state board is out over their skis and they're behaving in an unconstitutional factor we don't think that you can unseat a, a de facto unseat a democratically elected school board we don't think that you can remove local control. We think that is enshrined in the state constitution. Yep. And we also think that the way that they're executing this turnaround law is biased, right? I mean, when you have white communities like Douglas County behaving in illegal manners, like they've been doing this year, I don't see any call for the the dissolution of, of that school district or that school board, but But here when we have uh, an an all, you know, 90% majority, you know, minority situation, that that seems to be the response. So everything is building up to this Thursday. I I am feeling extremely, I feel great about our situation right now. I mean, I don't feel great because it's like gnarly, but I feel like we have an amazing school board led primarily by women of color who are owning their their voice and and standing up for their community and for what is right Uh, we have uh, another woman of color who is running the school board in the superintendent position who is not backing down who is not letting corporations come in and you know pilfer this community and who is who is being extremely supportive of a lot of the initiatives that we have been trying to get as a union. Uh, you, know, you know, dual language instruction, community school models. Uh, they just announced, you know, four uh, positions at the secondary schools that the whole point of the position is going to be to just help families overcome barriers to education. Yeah. Um, all of this stuff is gearing up towards, I think, the right fight to be having in public education in the 21st century in in America. And I really feel like we're on the cusp of something pretty huge here. The the impact for the rest of the state of Colorado is going to be massive. There are 138, I think it's it's almost 140 schools on the turnaround clock right now and three or four districts. I forget what it is. And, and again, this system, the way that it's set up, it's just a matter of time before they're going to be doing the same thing to those people. What there's a reason they picked, commerce city they felt like they could they could push this community around and then they can set precedent and then they can run rampant throughout the rest of the state privatizing left and right but we're going to stop them because of that leadership of that 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 i talked about at that school board level at the superintendent level and people like you got here on this call right here and and so so i just wanted to end it with yes this has been gnarly but I'm,
0: I'm feeling froggy right now. I'm about ready to hop. So (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna start using that Jason. Um, you know, I think, uh, what you say feels hundred percent true that, you know, um, and myself as a 23 year veteran teacher in Denver public schools, it's really important that those of us outside of Adams 14, don't just turn away from this and think that, Oof, glad that's not us. Um, because what we know is that these things operate on precedent. What we know is that uh, th- these reformers like to replicate ideas. And if they think it worked in one place, they're going to try to make it work in other places. And so, and then Jason, thanks for giving us kind of the last few weeks or so four weeks ago about um, the, there's a recommendation by the state board to reorganize the district and close Adams city high school. And um, the, outcry from the community was immediate so as we kind of wrap up I want to hear a couple of things I want to hear a sort of why would it be such a catastrophe to close Adam City High School what would be the impact on the community and the second piece is how how do we help how do we support uh, your efforts um, we're recording this on April the 12th hopefully you're hearing this on the 13th And uh, so that you know that this hearing is happening on the 14th, um, how do we help? And what what does this mean?
4: Um, Well, Adams 14 schools are are the heart of, of our community. We have proud tradition and legacy and a community of people that has so much commitment to their culture and so steadfast to their values. Um, They really love their children and their schools are the closest thing some of those kiddos have to a bootstrap.
2: Yeah.
4: And the ending of Adams 14, you know, is um, what I believe opens the door to gentrification we got a lot of development going on in commerce city light rails there now we got a starbucks and we know what happens
0: not a starbucks Uh-oh. y'all, are, y'all yeah. are doomed sorry
4: yeah so <laughs> they're holding they're holding tight you know to, to be that small community that they've always been that takes care of their neighbors and helps out people who need anything and you know knows everyone's dog who's out like it's that kind of a town it's a, it's Got such a small town feel if you stay long enough. To oh yeah, experience- when I drive
0: by the the pools when I'm going to get my tortillas and my carne and stuff, like you can just see everybody's out. People are having picnics. People are together. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, in a very real way, I went to Manual High School on the east side of Denver, and Manual was our flagship, and um, we knew from the time that we knew what school was and from the time we knew what high school was that we were going to be manual thunderbolts. And I think the same is true of Adam City Eagles, still the Eagles, right?
4: Yeah.
0: All right. So <laughs> gotta know, gotta know, you know, and and so I think that those that if we want schools to represent, um, to represent community centers to bring people together, um, then we have to sort of see this for what it is. Um, yeah, go ahead, Lacey. You look like you are gonna say something. I,
4: I'm just thinking, you know, pressure on the state board. Um, but this also these talks happen at the Capitol too. Um, Adams 14 was is hot in this legislative session and um talks of vouchers, you know, for our failing district too. So yeah. um, it isn't, you know, it's kind of both places. You gotta hit both sides of the street when uh when we're looking to reach out to people, um, you know, and We've been working a lot on changing the narrative, the the false narrative in the media, and just the perception of Commerce City in general. Um, as a person who was born and raised in Colorado, who never went to Commerce City, I sure thought I knew a lot about it and didn't know the real truth of Commerce City. So, you know, I talk about uh, people singing our song and and being our Hortons, and and we're yeah. we're here, and and we need more Hortons. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Place to thank you so much for that. Um, And, you know, so um, so we got to make this noise. Social media is a great place to go. We will also publish email addresses for members of the state board, find their Twitter accounts and really and really start applying some pressure because um, Adam City is all of us and Adams 14 is all of us and all of us in Colorado Our districts aren't that far from having to face these kinds of things, and we've got to stand together. This is an opportunity for a comprehensive movement to to protect public education, education for all. Love what you said about for some kids, school is the bootstrap, and um, they just need a little bit of an opportunity to make it work. So um, keep things keep keep your eyes on the news everybody um april 14th um recommend a social media blitz let's get after them let's kind of talk about this um would love to talk to you all again and hopefully when we do um it'll be good news so um
1: (laughs) be sure to follow uh the cta uh facebook page so we're sd14 cta um yeah so you'll you'll see upcoming stuff i whatever happens on on the 14th i'm sure there's going to be actions coming so people could support us and find out about that through there also cea has been pu- publishing a lot of stuff about 14 that you can follow through all of their platforms and, the, you know, for those of you who maybe work in the Denver metro area in Colorado, you know, just talk to your leaders in your district and make sure that everybody understands that we are all in this together. We
0: are.
1: And if, uh, you know, it, any, it, it, yeah, we're all in this together. I'm going to try to say this without throwing anybody under the bus here.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the bus will be for the next conversation, right? Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, you know, any short-term games that some struggling district might get through, you know, essentially charter school practices, right? Which is just sifting out those who can it. They're just going to turn around and use it it's on you. not worth it. It's not yeah. worth yeah.
0: it. Yeah. And I just followed um, SD14CTA on Facebook. Um, we'll try to share some of those updates as well. Um, so Jason Malmerg, um, Lacey Mueller, Corey Eichmann, Doreen armalin thank you for joining. I have one today. thing I want to yeah, say. Go ahead, so Doreen. yes, it get it.
3: So everybody out there, believe nothing that you hear, believe all that you see, and come to Commerce City, you will see we are worth it, believe in us, and we'll prove it.
0: Love it. That's, oh, what a beautiful way to end. Um, Amen. Thank you, Doreen. And um, so, folks, um, it's time. It's time to organize. It's time to get the word out there. Um, Continue to follow this podcast. Continue to follow um, SD14CTA. And continue to follow the news. There's been a lot of coverage, whether it's in your CEA journal or through some educational news outlets. Make sure you know what's going on. My name is Cedrard Munoz. Thank you for tuning in to this emergency episode of Havitually Disrupted.